All right. Good morning, friends. How many of you thought this morning when you walked into church you would hear a sermon from an animated wise man? <laughs> Maybe not. But it's good words, good words this morning. God will give you feet for the path. And we're going to talk about this this morning, but I want to show you a couple pictures. You see, the Christmas story is full of pictures. Picture, picture, picture. And so I want to show you what I mean by that. This week started the season of Hanukkah, the festival of lights. It's, it's the, the festival where the Jewish people celebrated that they had enough oil for their lamps after the Greeks came and decimated the inside of the temple and made it unclean. And God provided light, oil for the menorah, the feast of lights. Now in our Bibles, we see evidence that Jesus or the angel came to Mary and Mary conceived of Jesus during the Feast of Light. There's evidence of that. Now, Jesus was born in a city called Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is made up of two Hebrew words. Does anybody know what those two Hebrew words are? Bet and Lechem. Now, the word Bet means house, and the word Lechem means bread. So the city of Bethlehem was named for the industry that took place there. It was a place where they made bread. It was a bakery. Okay. Now Jesus, when he was born, was laid in a manger. And many of us, when we think about a manger, here's an oven, bread oven. When we think about a manger, we think of a wooden box. But friends, in the Middle East, that's not what a manger was. It was built of stone, and it was a place for the animals to go and to drink water. It was a water trough, a stone water trough. Now, Jesus grew up in a city called Nazareth. Now, this also comes from a Hebrew word, and this Hebrew word is the word netzer. And in Hebrew, the word netzer means branch or shoot. And what it talks about is it talks about when you cut down an olive tree or when an olive tree continues to grow, little shoots will come out of the stump if you cut it down. If it's already there, then the branches will come out of the bottom of the trunk. But this is where the new life comes. So friends, let's put these pictures together, okay? In the Christmas story, Jesus, the light of the world, was conceived during the feast of light. The bread of life was born in a bakery. The living water was placed in a water trough. And Isaiah says, the shoot out of Jesse's stump grew up in a place called Shootville or Nazareth. Do you see the pictures? Picture, picture, picture. Well, Matthew gives us another picture. Let me read it for you. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, the house of bread, of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men, or in the Greek magi from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star 
when it rose and have come to worship him. So friends, Matthew gives us this picture of these pagan priests. These pagan priests who lived far away. Now, the magi, they were known for their magic. They were known for their medicine. They were known for their wisdom. In fact, they called them kingmakers because oftentimes the magi would be the ones who would help the king ascend the throne. But these magi also knew about the stars. And these magi could see and read the stars. And at times, they could also tell and divine the future. But what's so amazing about this story is, guess what? God invited them to be part of Jesus' story, the story of salvation for the entire world. And they get to be a part. And friends, guess what? So do we. But what I love about the wise men's story is I love that it took them a while to get to Jesus, right? They were on a journey. Now, we don't know the exact timing because, you see, the wise men show up much later than when Jesus was was born, when the shepherds showed up. The wise men could have showed up almost two years later. We don't even know if the wise men had started their journey when Jesus was born. But what Matthew tells us is that there was a star, and they saw that star. And there may have been other celestial things happening, and they said, this is the time. Let's go on a journey. And friends, here's the picture. The picture is, as the wise men journeyed to see Jesus, friends, so do we. I love Advent because it's our opportunity to journey to the manger. It's an opportunity to get our hearts right so that we can approach Jesus. I don't know what God was doing in the life of those wise men, but God said, come. And they took a step on a journey that I don't know if they knew how it was going to end. You see, Matthew doesn't give us a whole lot of details. Some of these things, Matthew says, you don't need to know. But what you need to know is that they started out on a journey with anticipation for what they would find. And we too are on a journey. We too travel. You see, another picture in Scripture is this. Life is a journey, and we walk a path. The psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. And so God calls us to walk the path of life. Now, 
Let's dig a little bit into the wise men's story. The question we all ask is, where did the wise men come from? If they're on a journey going one place, they had to come from somewhere. So where did they come from? Now, Facebook is very helpful in telling us where they came from. I was sent this picture by my friend Anne. I don't know if Anne is here today, but take it in for a minute. You ready? Clem, why'd you all dress him like firefighters fur? It says in the good book, three men, wise men, came from afar. <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> Meredith and I lived in Florida for a while, so we appreciate this kind of humor. You have to get your southern accent going, right? The wise men came from afar. Don't worry. The first time I read this, it didn't make any frankincense to me either. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll keep going. But where did the wise men come from? This is a question we've always asked. We know the Bible tells us that they came from the east, but we don't know specifically where they came from. And I don't know if it matters, but I think if we dig into the history and we put this story in its context, maybe we can see some hints, and maybe it will help us with this story. So I'm going to give you world history a thousand years in five minutes, okay? Now, when we talk about Bible history, we can anchor it really on two characters. Abraham lived around 2000 B.C. King David lived and served around 1000 B.C., if you remember, King David was the second king. The first king was Saul. Then it went to King David. Then it went to David's son, Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. And if you remember, in 722 B.C., around there, the Assyrians, the empire, came and they took the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom, they took them back to their lands. Well, Judah survived for another couple hundred years until the Babylonians came, 526 B.C. What happens with all huge empires is they rise and they fall, and so the Babylonians came into power. And if you remember the story and how it intersects with God's story is King Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes the people from Jerusalem back into exile to Babylon. But he takes many of the wise men and the young men because he wants to train them. One of those men, his name was Daniel, if you remember the story. And Daniel started to train in the courts of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he started to learn things. But God had given Daniel special wisdom and Daniel's friends. And we read in, in Daniel 1.20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, Daniel and his friends, he found them ten times better than all of the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. If you remember the story, Daniel had this special gift. And the special gift was to be able to decipher dreams. So King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and Daniel was able to tell him what it meant and what to expect. 
And so the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole area of Babylon. And he put Daniel in charge of all the wise men of Babylon. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Daniel's path? The path that God called Daniel to walk? Well, it's interesting because I wonder, what did Daniel teach these wise men? I wonder if Daniel took the book that he knew and loved. And I wonder if those wise men who knew the knowledge, who loved information, and and I wonder if they just soaked it up. It's interesting because sometimes we talk about the Israelites' time in Babylon as exile, and I wonder if it was mission work. I wonder if God says, I'm going to give Daniel a path because there's a whole part of this world that needs to know who I am. Now, what's interesting, this is a little bit of history. This is the King Nabonidus. He's the last king of the Babylon, Babylonian Empire. And Nabonidus spent the last 10 years of his reign in the Arabia Peninsula. Now, what's interesting about that is when the Babylonians came and took the Jewish people, some of those Jewish people would escape and go to the Arabian Peninsula. He made his kingdom, his capital, in a place called Tema. And we find Jewish communities in the city called Petra. I wonder if they interacted. Now, as all large empires do, they grow and they fall. This is a picture of a magi from the Persians. The Persian Empire would conquer the Babylonian Empire. And the wise men, the historical wise men, would come to full power during the Persian Empire. You can see the magi here. You see the king on his throne, the king's brother. This is from the capital city of Persepolis, the capital of Persia. And then behind him is a magi. A wise man. We don't have very many depictions in history of magi or wise men, but this is one of them. So as great empires do, the Greeks came through. Alexander the Great came through in 493 B.C. and took out the Persian kingdom. At that point in history, the wise men dispersed. And we don't hear very much about wise men in Greek history. In 146 B.C., the Romans would come to power and they would take over the Greek culture and what the Greek people had put in place. Now I tell you all of this because it's interesting to think about where these wise men came from. Could they have come from the east? Could they have come from the area of Babylon? Well, in the first century, the folks living in Babylon were the Parthians. They were enemies of Rome. And King Herod was a Roman king put there by the Romans. Now think about this. Next week we're going to talk a little bit about Herod. But imagine this. These Parthians come with these wise men, probably more than three. The only 
reason we have three is because our Bible talks about three gifts. But the wise men come, probably multitude of wise men come, followed by maybe soldiers of Parthia. And in our story, they get an audience with King Herod. And I've often wondered, who, how did the enemy come and get an audience with King Herod? But think about this. If the wise men from Babylon went to the Arabia Peninsula and the Jewish people left Jerusalem and went to Petra, and it was here that these cultures mixed, I wonder what kind of stories they told back and forth. I wonder, these wise men, generations after the wise men, that Daniel was able to affect and what Daniel was able to change and, and tell the story to. I wonder if that story went from generation to generation to generation to generation. And all of a sudden, it's the first century and there's a star in the sky. I wonder if they were waiting for it. But what was their map? Josh talked a little bit about it. Let me show you. I wonder if Daniel told them about Jacob in Genesis and what Jacob prophesied over Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Men from Judah's family will be kings. Someone from Judah will always be on the throne. Judah will rule until the real king comes and the nations will obey him. I wonder if Daniel told those wise men about Balaam, the prophet that we read about in, the, in Numbers he says this, I see someone who will come someday. I see someone who will come, but not soon. A star will come from Jacob. A ruler will rise from Israel. Or I wonder if Daniel told them about Micah the prophet. But you, Bethlehem Ephrat, Ephratah, are one of the smallest towns in Judah. But from you will come one who will rule Israel for me. Interesting, right? So now you have the person, the people from the line of Jacob. Now you have a place. You have a reference to a star. And then the angel Gabriel shows up to Daniel and says this, Learn and understand these things. A decree will come to rebuild Jerusalem. The time from this command until the anointed one comes will be 49 years and 434 years, a total of 483 years. Now you have the place, you have the person, and you have the time. I wonder what those wise men were looking for. Friends, it's almost as if this book was their map. Psalm 119, you heard it already. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Interesting, isn't it? So the wise men were on a journey, on a path. And friends, sometimes we get to walk a path in life. And sometimes that path is straight. And sometimes we have the opportunity to stop and to smell the flowers. And we get some signposts and guideposts as to where the path is going. And we have an idea. We don't always know where it will end up, but this is comfortable. But you all know that this isn't the whole picture, right? Sometimes the path looks like this. 
when all it looks like is uphill. Or sometimes the path looks like this. When you just see hill after hill after hill after hill. You see, these are the phone calls in the middle of the night. Right? These are the doctor's appointments that you go to where you hear news that you'd rather not hear. You see, these are the times when you get called into your boss's office and they say, you know what? You no longer work here. Friends, these are the paths that God calls us to walk to. And I know many of you are walking paths like this. Let me read to you a story. The story goes like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. I think sometimes we read this story looking back, but can you imagine Joseph? He doesn't know anything about an angel. He doesn't know anything about this plan. And all of a sudden, his path took a very different turn. Because you see, we don't often understand this story in its cultural context. In the first century marriages, there were two marriages, two commitments. The first one was a betrothal and an engagement, and it was arranged by the parents, but often with the couple's consent. Girls were usually between the ages of 2 to 14, guys between the ages of 16 to 18. So friends, these are kids. It's initiated with a marriage contract. It's called a ketubah. And in this ketubah, they would determine what the bride price was. Now, we often think that the groom is paying for the bride, but that's not the case. What the, bride, what the groom's family realizes is that when the groom comes to take the bride back to his village, that there will be a hole in the community left. And so that's the price, the bride price. And then the dowry. The dowry is what travels along with the bride she takes some, some resources with her in case something happens to her husband. This is legally binding as marriage. During this time, they do not spend any time alone, and the length of this betrothal was about a year. And then after that year, the husband would go create a place, build a home for himself and his bride, and then he'd come back and take his bride to be with him. And it would be a seven-day ceremony. So at some point during this year-long betrothal, Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant. And in this culture, it's all about honor and shame. And can you imagine the shame of knowing that Mary's pregnant and having no idea how? 
But here's the amazing thing. And her husband Joseph being a just man. See, being a righteous man, Joseph could have divorced her publicly. That would have been okay in that culture. He would have had to go to the gate and in front of everybody, he would have had to to sign a certificate of divorce and he would have taken back the bride price. He would have taken, actually taken her dowry and all the shame would have been on Mary. But what's amazing is we read that Joseph was a good person and so he was going to divorce her privately. Now, in order to divorce, divorce her privately, he only needed two or three people. And in private, the, the community wouldn't know, and they wouldn't know everything. And so probably the bride price would be lost. She would keep her dowry, but she would keep also some sense of honor. But... As he considered these things, now this word is interesting, considered, because it's actually, as he became angry. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Have you ever felt this way on the paths that God is calling you to walk? I don't know what's going on. I don't know why. I don't know. I'm starting to become angry. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had been given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, there was a third option, and that option was to actually marry Mary, but that came with a cost. Because the community would be talking, what's going on, what's going on? And Joseph would choose to take on some of that shame. And Mary and Joseph would walk the path together. I think Joseph was a man of the text. In fact, I think Joseph was probably a rabbi. He was a, he was a, um, a builder, a craftsman. So he, he worked with stone. But I think he knew the text. And I wonder, I wonder if his thoughts went back to Psalm 18, 31, 33. For who is God but the Lord? And who is the rock except our God, the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless? He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. Here's another picture for you to think about. In Israel, there are deer. They're called ibex. And they're small deer, but they run all over the mountains. And oftentimes, you'll see them on the sheer 
cliffs. But here's the picture, and friends, this is a picture I want you to remember. God says, I am going to call you to walk a path. But here's God's promise, is that whatever path I call you to walk, I will give you feet, like the deer, to walk that path. God doesn't often say, hey, I'll change your path. Sometimes. But God says, I will give you what you need to take the next step. And I wonder if that is how Joseph was able to do it. And Mary, because her path changed too. I will give you feet for the path that I am calling you to walk. Friends, you are all walking a path. And for some of you, Christmas may be something that you love and you look forward to, and it's the most wonderful time of the year, right? Walk that path. But for some of you, this may be a very different Christmas than it was last year. You may have to sit at tables where someone is missing. Or you may have to gather with people who don't agree with you, who see things differently. Or you may enter Christmas afraid or scared. friends, here's the good news. There's someone else who had to walk a path. That boy who was laid in that water trough would grow up. And he would walk a path A path that I wouldn't wish on anyone. But friends, because Jesus walked this path, we have life. You see, Jesus would find himself in a garden. And in that garden, he would cry out, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Change my path. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Give me the feet to walk the path that you are calling me to walk. And then there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. I wonder if it was the same kind of thing as Joseph. God says, I got you. I got you. One of my favorite verses is this. Habakkuk, the prophet, says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Do any of you feel this way this morning? Nothing's going right. 
then. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on my high places. Friends, God will give you feet for the path that God is calling you to walk. And because Jesus was willing to walk the path that God was calling Jesus to walk, friends, that's why when nothing goes right, and when the path that we didn't choose, God says, I want you to walk it, we can walk it. Because Jesus did. And Jesus knows. And friends, that is why a weary world can rejoice. Let's pray. God of the universe, we thank you for your words. We thank you um, that you reassure us that you walk with us. God, we do not know the paths that you call us to walk, but your promise to us is that you will give us feet for the paths that you call us to walk. So help us to trust in you, to keep our eyes on you. And God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending Jesus into this world to be our Savior. And it's because of this that we can continue to take one step forward. Amen.